It's Garth, sitting in the lost cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts. I have my uh, AMRAD radio set to 833 kilohertz. I've also set myself a nice dinner of King Edward pudding, lobster salad, and lemon meringue. I hope you'll join me as we listen to a tale of two lost villages on Cape Cod that were actually saved and can still be seen today. This is Lost Massachusetts. Welcome again to Lost Massachusetts. In the last episode, we were at First Encounter Beach in East Ham, Massachusetts, talking about the initial meeting of uh, the Nossets and the pilgrims on the Mayflower. Uh, This next episode will also be on Cape Cod. But before we get into it, I want to tell you about something interesting. Okay. Some of you may be listening to these podcasts, following the blog, and you say to yourself, well, my Nana or my Grunkle would really like this, but they don't have a computer and they don't have a phone. They can't hear the podcast. And even if I gave them a phone or a computer, they still wouldn't know how to use it to download the podcast. So they can actually access the podcast without any electronics. Now, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? We are going to make available through the website postcards of all of the places we visit, all the lost places that we visit that can be sent to your Nana and your Grunkle. And they can follow along with us even if they don't have any power going to their house. So look for that on the website. We'll be talking about it more. Jumping into some lost Massachusetts news. This is from the Taunton Gazette. Situate, Massachusetts, August 27th, nearly 500 feet below the surface of the ocean, a remotely operated submersible called Pixel is exploring the wreck of the SS Portland off the coast of Gloucester. So the SS Portland sank Thanksgiving night in 1898 after it left Boston Harbor. Uh, It ran into a horrible storm. I mean, this storm was a really, really bad one. It actually killed over 400 people in general and uh, caused more than 40 wrecks throughout the area. As for the SS Portland, all uh, 192 people on board, passengers and crew, died, and uh, only 38 of the bodies were ever recovered from the ocean around Cape Cod. And they are investigating this wreck. I wouldn't suggest that you try and see this wreck yourself. Also, from Archaeology Magazine, their September-October issue, they have an article about the boyhood home of W.E.B. Du Bois, and I would always read that as Webb, and I know that's wrong. His home in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, from 1868, and uh, you can visit this. I will put both of these articles into the blog about this episode. 
In this episode, we will be visiting Wood End and Long Point, which are at the extreme outer edge of Cape Cod. These are two ghost villages. These are places where people used to live a long time ago. And uh, they actually, when they left, they took their houses with them. So the sites of the ghost villages are more or less empty, except for two lighthouses. But the actual structures that the people used to live in, you can actually see them. You can see them in the west end of Provincetown. And we'll tell you exactly where some of these houses can be found and how they got there to begin with. And why they moved is actually an interesting story. Uh, most people think of the Cape as being a vacation land, and that's why they go there. But there is a there is a harsh aspect to some parts of the Cape that may be hard for people to picture. But we'll also get into that. Okay, we are cruising along Route 6, headed out to the very tip of Cape Cod. And we are literally going to the very end of Cape Cod. It is a crystal clear August day, blue sky, puffy white clouds, 68 degrees. And it is a fantastic day for a hike. So now we're walking across a massive stone causeway and it, uh, is bordered on one side by a giant sand flat, tidal flat, and on the other side there is a sort of seemingly endless green marsh. Uh, this causeway leaves from a traffic circle in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and goes out to a ghost village. And it's called the Long Point Ghost Village. Now, one of the benefits of this part of the hike is it's almost impossible to get lost. You're just walking in a straight line for a very long time. But it also includes one of the sort of, you know, possible dangerous aspects of these kind of trips. Uh, one is that this is kind of rough footing at times. Um, you're jumping from giant rock to rock. You could fall in between the rocks. You could fall on either side into the water. And the real danger is being out here at high tide. Because at extreme high tides, this is completely overcome with water. And if you go out at the wrong time, you could be stranded out at Long Point. So we're about halfway through the causeway and we're just bits left of an island a little sandbar in between and of course it's covered with broken seashells from uh, birds eating their catch up here and uh, it's just beautiful in every direction I mean this is really is a great walk so we're at the other side of the causeway it took literally 30 minutes uh, it's always good to keep track of your time when you're out hiking so you know how far you've gone in and how far you have to go back so it's beautiful here but it is really desolate and what you have to do is look around and you have to imagine uh, dozens of houses you have to imagine dozens of houses and also salt factories 
And the thing is, is that even though it's really nice to be here today when it's 70 degrees and sunny, you have to imagine living out here in the harsh New England winter. It would be a completely different story. And I can see how some people might have uh, had enough of that after a few decades. So we've made it out to the beach side and this is a section of the old village that's called Wood End. And uh, all that's here right now is a, is a gorgeous beach. There is an abandoned, looks like a crab trap. And there's a couple of lobster traps out here. I don't know if they're still in use. One thing that's important to note about hiking out here is that it's poison ivy everywhere, okay? There's poison ivy everywhere. So stay on the sandy path. Don't walk through the brush. If you're going to come here and if you're going to come and walk through the brush, make sure you're wearing long socks or pants. So um, are you guys from the area or are you uh, visiting? From Boston. You're from Boston? Okay, yeah. We're from up that way too. Um, so what brought you out here to the point across the causeway? Why did we come here? Because we were exploring. You were exploring. That's awesome because that's what this is all about. Do you know you're standing in the middle of a ghost town? Did you know that? No. 150 years ago, there were dozens of houses out here in salt factories. And actually, every single one of the houses was floating across the bay in the province town. And there's over 50 of them. Thank you. Today. Out here today because it was too cold to sit on the beach. It was too cold to sit on the beach. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and you said you're from England and you live in Vermont? Yeah. Okay. Do you know you're standing in the middle of a ghost town? No. No. There were, uh, at one point, about 150 years ago, there were dozens of houses here in a salt factory. Really? And they actually floated all of the houses across the harbor over to Provincetown, and there's 50 of them still standing today. Is that right? Yeah. It's amazing history, and you don't even know it's here. Yeah, we did. No, we did wonder what they were. Are they houseboats? Are they houseboats on there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are houseboats. Uh, but there were actually two villages out here. This was called Wood End, and there was another village out that way called Long Point. Wow. Yeah, but it was tough living. Oh, boy. I, I bet, bet it was. was. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine living. I mean, it's beautiful now. But to live out here and make a living out here. Mm. And, and, and then where the did, winter. Where yeah. did most of those inhabitants come from? It's a good question, and I have to continue researching that. People in Provincetown do not regard houses as stationary objects. A man will buy a piece of dune land above the town in a cottage on the front shore, and presently up the hill toils the little house. Or he buys a piece of shorefront and a cottage on the back street, and presently the house is wambling along to take its place on the water. It has always been so since the old days. Provincetown people got a habit of moving their houses long ago when there was a settlement of 48 houses over by Long Point. 
This sickle of land, which encloses one of the finest harbors in the North Atlantic, was so narrow that encroaching storms played havoc with it and threatened at one time to sweep the narrow point away. It was too valuable a harbor to be destroyed, and the government took it over. But the thrifty Provincetowners asked the government, What are you going to do with the houses? Nothing, responded the government. Well, can we take them? If you take them away, answered the government. The Provincetown fathers consulted together, and next, houses, supported on wrecking barrels, bobbed solemnly across the bay. They figured it this way. If wrecking barrels can support and bring up from the sea's bottom a vessel of many tons burden, why can't a raft of wrecking barrels support a house on the surface of the water? It could, and it did. Many a ship's timber has gone into Provincetown houses. Some have been partly constructed from the fine knees of old vessels and the magnificent timbers of dead ships. Frederick Waugh's studio was made that way, and the interesting flagship owes much of its uniqueness to Pat's beachcombing. This likeness of Provincetown houses to ships explains some of their architectural peculiarities. In many an old house, the door opens on a narrow entry. The stairs mount sheer. They are not really stairs, but a companionway. There are upper chambers where the small windows are like portholes, as though built for security against the weather, rather for the light. Those were two readings from Time in the Town, Provincetown Chronicle, by Mary Heston Vorse, who lived from 1847 to 1966. Vorse was born in Amherst, Massachusetts, to a uh, shipping family. She toured the world, and then she settled back around the Provincetown area and became a well-known author and journalist. Many people may be wondering, why would you ever give up property on Cape Cod? When people think of Cape Cod, they think of relaxing on the beach, they think of ice cream, of mini golf, of sailing, of fried food, and all kinds of fun. But once you're outside of the tourist and relaxation areas of the Cape, uh, there's a certain brutality to the natural landscape. And if you've ever been hiking in the hinterlands of Cape Cod, you know what I'm talking about. When you're out there, it's almost like you're in the desert. It actually kind of is a desert. There's no fresh water. You're close to the ocean, obviously, but you can't drink any of that water. You might be surrounded by thorny bushes and vast fields of poison ivy. There's no lights. There's no electricity. There's no roads. Okay. Being out there, you can feel really lost. And of course, there are artists who seek this out. They like the solitude of that. But it is a stark difference from what people imagine the Cape to be. Now, if you've been out there in the summer and you say to yourself, wow, it's really hot out here uh, and it's really desolate and it's really windy, I'm getting sand blown in my face, I want you to imagine what it's like out there in the winter. 
and then imagine yourself living there day after day after day. And that is the reality that the residents of Long Point and Wood End would have been dealing with. So why did the settlers come out here to this somewhat barren and harsh landscape, and then why did they leave? One word, salt. Human history is really driven by food production. You hear the terms digital age or information age, industrial age, but we're also living in the refrigeration age. Okay, there's human history before refrigeration, and then there's human history after refrigeration, and they're really completely different. We take it for granted now that we can reach into this device, pull out something that tastes fresh, and it could be weeks old. We have more food now than at any other point in human history, and part of that is because food is a lot easier to preserve and keep around longer. Before refrigeration, there were only a few ways you could preserve food. You had to dry it out or you had to pickle it. And for meat, meat rots very quickly. But if you can get the moisture out of the meat by using salt, you can actually preserve it for a long time. So for thousands of years, if you could produce salt, you could produce something that was worth a lot of money because it was one of the only ways that people could preserve meat. And this is what they were doing out on the extreme point of Cape Cod. They had easy access to seawater, and they had these long factories where they could extract the salt from the seawater. And Cape Cod is also associated with windmills. There are a lot of historic windmills. And one of the functions of these windmills was to pump seawater into these salt extraction factories. So the people who lived in Long Point and Wood End, they actually did pretty well for themselves, but it was only for a few decades. And what changed was that salt started to be mined from other places in the United States. And the salt deposits were a lot easier to get to, and salt became very cheap and started getting sourced from other places. And when this happened, living out on Long Point became really difficult. So we're back in the car now. And this is quite a contrast. We're in one of the uh, busiest, densest, uh, loudest places on Cape Cod. And where we just came from is probably one of the most empty and desolate. And now I'm going to punch in an address into our GPS. So then how and why would somebody move a house? Why would they bring it over water to a new location. So you have to imagine uh, in the 19th century that housing was a little different, okay? So there was no electricity, there was no sewer, there was no water supply, there were no gas pipes. These buildings, they were just kind of sitting there. They didn't have basements either. It wasn't attached to the ground with thick concrete the way that we would think of a house now. They were just big wooden boxes. And the sort of shape of these houses is fairly simple. They're generally kind of squarish, rectangular. So they're kind of an ordinary shape that 
would be more manageable. Wood is really expensive back then. Uh, so it was more practical for them to just pick their houses up and move them somewhere else. So what they had to do, I mean, these being sort of seafaring people, they built rafts to put their houses on. And amazingly, not only weren't any of the houses lost, none of them sank or crashed or anything like that, but supposedly people were still inside the houses cooking. Most of these houses ended up in Provincetown's West End on a handful of streets. And um, you can go see them and you can note them by a little blue ceramic plaque that um, has a picture of a house floating and a lighthouse in the background. So if you walk or drive around this neighborhood and just take a look at the front of the houses, you'll come across ones with this plaque. I will actually put up links to articles which explain where each house is and the history of it uh, with a listing of the streets where you can find them. There is a little bit of controversy about the floated houses. Some people seem to think that some of the claimed floated houses in the West End are fake. The reason being that there were about 38 houses on Long Point According to some descriptions, 30 were actually floated across. But on the uh, map, you can see almost 50 claimed floated houses. So that is something that uh, may have to be looked at in more detail some other time. But there'll also be pictures on the blog with uh, images of the, uh, the plate so you know what to look for, along with articles about the floating process and about the histories of the village. So thanks for traveling along with us. Stay tuned right after the commercial. We will give you specific directions to find Long Point and Wood End. Directions to Wood End and Long Point. You're going to want to drive all the way to the extreme end, literally the end of Route 6 at the end of Cape Cod. At the end of this, you will come to Pilgrim Circle, which is a rotary. And strangely, there's often parking around this rotary. So if you take this route, town pedestrian traffic, which is crazy, and you'll probably be able to get a parking space which is really strange because if you know the madness of the downtown area uh, you'll know that getting through and getting a parking space is extremely difficult so at the circle you will see the breakwater which is a long stone causeway so don't try and cross this causeway at high tide uh, try and pick a low tide time to go it's going to take about 30, 45 minutes to walk across this causeway. And when you get to it, you're basically in the area of um, Wood End. So just keep walking. The original Wood End is going to be slightly 
to the right as you come down to the beach. If you want to get to Long Point, you turn left and you can keep walking and walking and walking until you get to the Long Point light station. So this is, like I've said, this can be kind of barren and extreme. Uh, you have to be prepared for that. Bring some water with you. Bring some uh, some food with you. And uh, be careful not to go out there as the sun is setting because it will be pitch black and you may have a hard time finding your way out. Back in town, right around that same area, you can find Bradford Street and Atwood Street and Commercial and Soper. So these are the streets where the actual floated houses can be found within that neighborhood right there. And you can see how if you were floating a house across the bay, that's probably where you would want to end up. Uh, you wouldn't want to push your house too much further. So you're, uh, you're basically in that neighborhood already, so you don't have to go too far. Start looking for the various blue ceramic tiles on the sides of houses. And there you go. Thanks for listening along with us. I'm sitting back, having finished my dinner. I'm drinking a nice cold bottle of Hires Root Beer. Next time, we'll be going to the other Cape in Massachusetts, the North Shore's Cape Ann, to find another abandoned place. So until then, this is Garth from Lost, Massachusetts. And remember, it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun.